Well, good morning one more time, Victory Midtown. Good to see everybody in the house. If you are glad to be here, make a little noise for Jesus. Good to see you in the house. Good to see those who are worshiping online. Listen, I know you probably got a little comfortable. Uh, you got your seat, especially some of y'all on the end. I'm going to ask everyone just to scoot in just for a little bit. Got word that there's still quite a few people trying to come in. And thank you all for being here. And thank you for making room uh, for those who are on their way in. Now, I don't know about you, but Pastor Jamal, as he was kind of uh, allowing us to get seated, he said, look at somebody and ask them, when was the last time you got wowed by God? And if they didn't give you a good answer, why don't you just look back at them and say, you made it here today. You made it here today. That's a reason that we can celebrate we are wowed by God. So I'm so excited that we're here today as we are in week six of our series, Blessed. Can you say blessed? Blessed. If you are looking to be blessed, I want to let you know off the top that you're in the right place. But what I also want to let you know is that you may have had a different understanding of what the word blessed means. Blessed is a weighty word. Blessed is a word that a lot of times it kind of gets a wrong definition or even sometimes a bad rap depending on your background. But what I want to let us know is that as sometimes we are generally looking at the word blessed as an outward implication, God says there's an inward implication to that word blessed. Oftentimes when we hear the word blessed, we say prayers like, Lord, bless me with that raise on my job. Do I have a witness? We have men that say, Lord, bless me with a baddie. Now, we're a multicultural, multigenerational church. All that means is, Lord, bless me with a beautiful woman who I can look upon. (laughs) For the women in the house, you might say, Lord, bless me with a fine husband. Can I get an amen? Amen. And after a while, someone puts a men that request and say, just give me a husband. (laughs) Just, Just give me a husband, Lord. It's a little hard out here in these streets. I want to say this, and I know we're laughing and we're joking, but I want to say that there's nothing wrong with those type of requests. There's nothing wrong with us praying prayers that God fulfills us in different areas, but we can't actually emphasize that that is the fullness of what God is talking about when he says blessed. The reality is is that most of us look at what God, when he talks about being blessed, can do for us, but he wants us to focus on what he can do in us. And if we can actually get that understanding and really understand how he's trying to flow with us, we'll have a greater picture of what he wants to do in and through us. And so now six weeks in, we started this journey about the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're new to Christ or even new to the Christian faith, a sermon is simply a verbalized presentation of life instructions. And so what Jesus is doing on this Sermon on the Mount, it's actually like a hill. He was sitting on talking to people that were around him. He started to give them words for life. He started to give them encouragement. As a matter of fact, he started this sermon out with what we now call the Beatitudes or the blessed statements. And so I said this before that the Beatitudes, I believe, are really attitudes that God, through Jesus, is trying to say, I want these attitudes to become your default. I want these attitudes to become what makes you, what forms you, what allows you to actually walk in the life that looks like God. And I also believe that these are attitudes that we need to make sure that we grab because God wants to use them to transform us. Now, I want to let you in a little bit to kind of our weekly routine here at Victory Midtown. Every week on Wednesday, uh, we have a meeting where we talk about what happened last week and we project what's going to happen in the upcoming week. We talk about the songs that are going to be presented. We talk about the way that the service is going to flow. But we don't stop there. We do all of that, and then we take time to come in this sanctuary and pray. We come in here to pray for you. We come in here to pray for this environment. We come in here to pray because we say, God, we don't want to just have a good program. We don't want to just have a good sermon. We don't want to have just good music. We want an encounter with God. Amen? And so this past Wednesday, we found ourselves, like we often do, giving ourselves about 30 minutes to pray, and then 50 minutes later, we're still praying. Not because we're being religious, but this past weekend in particular, we found ourselves on our knees. We found ourselves crying. We found ourselves lifting our hands. There was no worship team up here. There were no lights. There were no cameras. There were no screens. It was just the presence of the Lord. And in that moment where it was so tangible, God's presence was so tangible, I remember talking to the team and telling them through tears, saying, I want to try to articulate what I'm sensing, what I'm feeling. 
And what I told them was that I see a picture. I actually see the, the state of what's happening here at Victory Midtown, that people are not just coming here because it's a good place to come. I believe that people are literally coming in here Sunday after Sunday. I'm looking at some of you in your face that you come in one way and you're literally being transformed right before our eyes. That you come in here with a hunger and a thirst for God, for righteousness. Yes, it's good to be around community. It's good to be around people. But you came for Jesus. And what I was sharing with them is that I literally see transformation happening. And that's why this series is so important and so near and dear to my heart and all of our leadership's heart, because we believe if we can get these statements, if we can start this off right, God is going to do some incredible stuff. He's already doing incredible work in us that's going to come out out of us. And so today, if you would, I I wanted to kind of give you that backdrop because it's so important that we get what I'm going to be speaking today that I actually kind of want to treach a little bit today. Now, some of y'all have been around here for a while. You know when I say that, uh, I tend to get a little bit excited, but what I want to try to do is teach and and walk us through some principles that are actually uh, important for us to get, and a little preach might come on me. That's called treaching. And so I want to just kind of take us back to where these eight statements start. But I want to make it really clear that these weren't random statements by Jesus. He didn't just kind of pull something out the air. Even the order in which he actually said these statements were important. These are not statements that are uh, describing eight different people. They're statements that want to build upon each other, line upon line, precept upon precept, so that we become the fullness of what these statements are. And so I want to read, starting at Matthew chapter 5, not just as a review, but so that we can hear it and get it in our spirits. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says this, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you read those soberly, you don't just read it as a script. You start to take it in and say, God is trying to form something. These are powerful statements. And what I love even more is that each one of these beatitudes, they are a a result of a promise. It says at the end of every one, they shall, they will. And so you can take that to the bank because God is not a man that he should lie. And so when he says these things to us, it's worth leaning into. It's worth taking uh, account of because he's trying to do something. Now, I know when we read that, some of us are like, okay, all of that's great, but where are the they shall receive that spouse? (laughs) Or they shall receive that raise? Or they shall receive that breakthrough? Watch this. When you get all these, all these other things will come. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and every other thing will be added. And so we've explained over and over again through this series that the Bible's usage of the word blessed is translated in the Greek as makarios. Makarios. It means fortunate and happy. Somebody say blessed. Blessed. Say fortunate Fortunate. and happy. happy. What Jesus is saying as he's breaking these things down, he's giving all of these beatitudes. Then at the end, every time he says blessed, he's saying congratulations. Congratulations, you're actually starting to look like me, to talk like me, to walk like me, to process like me, that while there are things going on because you've gotten these beatitudes, these blessed attitudes, now you can actually start to see like I see. And so as we think about this, just just let's be real, when we read these at first glance, they don't all seem blessed. But here's a key with that, a major key. You might not always feel blessed, but you are blessed. Come on, somebody needs to write that down because there are going to be some days where it's a little cloudy outside, where it's a little cold, and if you're not careful, you'll go up and down with the temperature of the day. But God says, you might not always feel blessed, but you are blessed. Somebody say, I am blessed. blessed. 
So when we grab these and we kind of take note of what's happening here, the first three are actually taking us through a process of emptying out, making sure that we get some things reconciled with God. The fourth one, which we talked about being filled with that hunger and thirst for righteousness, we get filled at the fourth one so that we can take five through eight and actually live it out. And so when we live these things out, what we're seeing here is that the goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is not just to get more head knowledge. The goal is not just to seem religious. The goal is not just to say, I came to church and I'm a good church attender. The goal is to say, I look like, I sound like, I walk like Jesus. And so I want to just be very honest with you. This series, as I hope it's been doing for you, it's been challenging me. It's been challenging me because every time I read these statements, uh, I believe that you can't effectively preach a message if the message is first not preached to you. I can't come and tell you something that I'm not first digesting and ingesting because what I want to do is I want to speak from the process that God has taken me through. And so as I've been looking at this, what has had me do is come face to face with my character and the character of Christ. Face to face to say, God, I'm going to interrogate myself. I'm going to take myself through these things so that I can know, am I really operating as Christ would operate? And so today, we're going to focus on what some theologians and what I would agree with uh, might be the most powerful scripture, not just in the Beatitudes, but in the entire Bible. And it's verse 8 of chapter 5. Let's read that. Let's pull it out. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hmm. I believe that's one of the most powerful and most weighty scriptures because it's kind of subjective. It's actually both encouraging and discouraging at the same time, if we're honest. It first tells us this big promise that we're supposed to be pure in heart, but then it also tells us that we'll see God. But many of us, if we're honest, we'll take inventory of ourselves and it's like, I know how my heart really is. There's no way I can be pure. Do I have any witnesses in the room? You ain't got to raise your hand. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest and say, I know myself. And so if, if the prerequisite for me seeing God is for me to be pure in heart, I need to know how to do that. And so that's what we're going to dig in today. The question is this. Do you ever really know the real condition of somebody's heart? You can think you know, but you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. If you're really honest, you know all of us have this ability to kind of say one thing on the outside and be feeling something totally different on the inside. You know, you might be agreeing with somebody on the inside saying, yeah, but in, in inside, you done found out five different ways to take them out. <laughs> and so we want to make sure that it's not just this thing, because if we're real, we can fake it. We can fake it till we make it. We can go along to get along, but that's not the abundant life. That's not how God wants us to operate. So let's talk about what it means to be pure in heart. What we need to pay attention to is that it does not say pure in head. It does not talk about now how you think, just make how you think the big thing. It does not say pure in emotions, talking about, oh, how I feel. It's not even talking about pure in will, where you can actually use your own strength, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it all yourself, because if that was the case, none of us would need Jesus. What he says is pure in heart, meaning that we need to understand the true condition of, watch this, who we really are. Not who people think we are, not what it looks like, not our perception outwardly. We need to see who we really are. It's going to be on the screen, but write this down. The heart is the real you. The heart is the real you. Now, I was finishing my pre-church workout this morning, and the Lord just kind of nudged me this morning and said, you need to give the church some free game, especially the singles. All the singles make some noise. Some of y'all married and y'all made some noise. Hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on now. Don't be confused. Listen, this is for the single people. Now, if you're married, you know, it's a little too late for you, but just still listen to this wisdom. The Lord said, give them some free game. If we say that the heart is the real us, some of us in the room, when it comes to dating and when it comes to interviewing people, when it comes to going through that process of seeing if somebody's going to make a lasting mark in my life, we have to not be so quick and be sure that we date people and interview people through the seasons of life. I'm very big on not just, oh, I met you, you look good, yeah, you fit all the things I wrote on my list, let's get married. 
No, you need to spend a little time getting to know people. You need to spend a little time, you know, going, going with them and being with them in the summer, in the fall, in the spring. Because some people act different when it's cold outside <laughs> versus when it's hot outside. Some people got a whole lot of discipline in the fall, but in the spring when them sundresses come out, you can't keep their heads straight. Can we have a real church in the house? And so we have to take time to not be in such a rush because, again, in different circumstances, people act different. And you see the real you after a while because it's only so long you can put on airs. It's only so long you can actually hide behind the filters. It's only so many times you can show up fully made up. I need to see you when you go to the water park. Real talk, my wife will tell you, when we were dating, you know, I was like, you showed up without makeup, thank God, you're still fine. Because some of us, we start to get in relationship and start to deal with the representative of a person. Not understanding that if we will wait for a little while and let them walk through some seasons, let them be proven through some things, we will see the real you. And so as we're talking about the real you, let me, let me say this. The heart is referring to the center of your personality. It's not just your emotions. It's not intellectual only. It's not just your feelings. It's the center of your emotion. What is it? It's a compilation of your emotions, your intellect, and your will. It's all of those things. It's the you, the version of you that only God really knows. Why am I saying that like that? Because even in this room, you might be sitting next to your husband or wife for 13 years, but there's some things that only God knows about them. I'm not talking about hiding things, but I'm talking about there are some things that we only take to God because we're saying, God, I need you to help me be one that walks in this thing. And so I want to read this scripture because as we talk about this being the version of us that only God knows, Proverbs 27 and 19 says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. The heart reflects the real person. There's going to be a couple of moments I sense, even as I preach this in the nine o'clock, where I'm going to slow down because I believe too many times we've rushed into the superficial and God's saying, I want to do a supernatural thing if you would just hear me. And so as I pause during some of those times, there will be moments where the Lord will be interrogating you right there in your seat to let my words go specifically to the places that he needs to work with you in. And so as we're looking at this, the reason why it's so important to make this distinction that it's not just about our emotions is because if we just think that our heart is about our emotions, we'll get caught up with the googly eyes. We'll get caught up with the little, oh, you so cute. Oh, you nice. Oh, oh, your color blue, my color blue too. We need to get married. No. We need to understand that it's not just about our emotions. What Jesus is really saying through these scriptures, he's saying this, blessed are those who are pure, not just on the surface, but from the center of their very being. He's saying at the source of who they are, their motivations are, are pure. That's what we're talking about when we say blessed are the pure in heart. And so all through Scripture, if we even go back, especially in the Old Testament, but all through Scripture, God speaks about the importance of the heart. Because what he's saying is that it's very possible to look like you have it all together on the outside and to be totally jacked up and wicked on the inside. That's one of the reasons why I believe that the cosmetic surgery industry is booming so much. That why uh, people wear so much makeup all the time. That why we try to put on our best version of ourselves because sometimes, not all the times, wear some makeup. Please, especially if it helps. <laughs> wear it. Wear it. Listen. 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 Real talk, real talk, but don't let your outward appearance be the thing that you focus on so much that you can't live with the true nature of who you are. See, we talk about these things, and yes, I know it's funny, and we, we, we look at these things, but this is a real, this is another epidemic. We need to really look at this, and, and in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 20, 
Jesus kind of shows us a picture of how important it is for us to reconcile the outside with the inside, but to focus on the inside first. Let's read it. I'm going to kind of paraphrase and jump around a little bit, but it'll, it's in your version Bible notes, and it'll be on the screen. Verse 1 says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. See, right here, they were so focused, and they thought that you became impure from outward dealings. They were so consumed with doing the religious activities and, and showing themselves to everybody else that they were clean that they focused so much on washing their hands that they missed the fact that they needed to wash their hearts. They so focused on dealing with the outward things that the inward things were actually eating them alive from the inside. And in verse 7, Jesus talks right at him. He goes right to the head. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. What Jesus is saying here very clearly is that it's very possible to have it all together on the outside. It's very possible to show up like you have it together. The Pharisees would often show up as religious leaders acting like nothing was wrong. They could be the same people that could come to church in their best church clothes. They could come to the altar. They could lift their hands and worship God and show the posture of holiness. But their hearts could still be a million miles away from God. And so what an indictment would it be for us to have a form of godliness but deny the power therein? And so what we see here, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. The things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, and these defile them. He gave some examples. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating and unwashed hands does not Defile them. What he was saying right here, stop living your life with an emphasis on the outside condition and start to emphasize the inward condition. Because the reality is outward expressions of sin are simply expressions that originate on the inside in your heart. See, when you actually walk in sin or do certain things that are, that are against the will of God, it's not like you just woke up one day and fell into sin. People say, I fell into sin. No, you walked <laughs> deliberately into sin. Let me say it like this. Sometimes we have a tendency to kind of cast blame when it comes to things that we are weak in in our flesh. We want to put it on somebody else and say, they're the reason you did something. We'll say things like, you know, oh, that person made me lie. No, you opened your mouth. You said something that wasn't true because you didn't want to take responsibility for it. Another example, you filed for those dependents on your taxes knowing they don't live with you. <laughs> you, you did that. You are the one who opened up your phone and sent the text. You up? And so we'll say things like the devil made me do it. And unless your name is spelled S-A-T-A-N, no, that's a lie. Because we did it, but it originates from this place in our heart. And so as we grab this, what we do a lot of times is that we fail to walk in the fullness because we fail to deal with the fullness of where our hearts really are. And God wants us to know that we can't be people who just say stuff like, just trust your heart. The reason why we can't trust that is because the way my heart is set up, I'll deceive myself. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it like this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He poses the question, he says, who can know it? I love that he poses that question. I told you before that every word and everything in the Bible is intentional. He says, who can know it? Watch this, because some of us would say, well, I know I have a good heart. My motives were sincere. Do you know that you can be sincerely wrong? You can really, with all your heart, be feeling like, I'm doing this because I, I want to do this for you, and I'm feeling like it's the right thing, but it can be coming from the very wrong place. And so we have to trust God with the true uh, nature of where our hearts are so that we can actually walk in him. And so here's what I want to say. There's this disease that's actually been considered the leading cause of death in the natural, and it's the leading cause of death for everybody in the spirit all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and it's heart disease. 
It's this thing that eats at our hearts because it allows us to walk in wickedness. It allows us to walk in things that are really not what God would have us to do. But a lot of times we fool ourselves. A lot of times we're doing things not understanding that God has a higher call, but we have to first acknowledge that. So here's the deal. How do we walk and and really deal with this heart issue? I want to walk you through it. Number one, we have to get a pure heart. We have to get a pure heart. That sounds simple, but here's what I'm saying. We have to start where we find ourselves. What that means is I have to take inventory and first realize and first admit that with all that I am in the fullness of who I am, my heart is dead, it's deceitful, and it's, it's desperate. It's in a desperate need of a savior. But watch this. I love a but God. Our heart is dead, deceitful, and desperate, but God, who is rich in mercy, gives us the opportunity to be reconciled with him through his son, Jesus. See, some of you have heard this scripture in your Easter speech, but I want to read it to us right now. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, not maybe you'll be saved, you will be saved. And I just want to slow down for a minute because sometimes Scripture can become familiar to us to the point that we don't praise God for the gift. And so I just want to take about a 15-second praise break and just clap our hands right now and thank God that it was him who was rich in mercy. It was him who said, you can actually get forgiveness from me. It was him who sent his son, Jesus, knowing that our hearts were deceitful, but he said, I'm still going to save you. And so what we have in common a lot of times is that this word is not saying if you confess with your mouth and believe in your head. This is not an intellectual thing only. Theology is important, but if you only have a head knowledge of God, you will not last long. Theology is important, but if you don't actually take the fullness of this as a gift from God and let this guide the fullness of your life, you will be short-lived. And so we need to understand that it's not about intellect because watch this, even the devil, even the demons know that Jesus is Lord. Even they know that he got up uh, from, from, uh, and resurrected so that we can actually be saved. But watch this. They did not actually accept this in their hearts. What makes us different from them is that we're saying we take on this truth as truth and we walk from that place of truth. And so the great thing that I'm excited about is that as we read this, as we see this word, as we even celebrate, that's not where it stopped. It's more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. It says, you were washed meaning you were made clean. It says you were sanctified, means you were made holy. You were justified, means that you were made pure in the eyes of God. And it says, in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me say that one more time. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I want to give you all an announcement brought to you by Jesus Christ. And it's simply him telling us this. When you actually gave your life to him, when you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, your heart was made pure right there. Now, I know when we hear that thing, we're kind of like, I don't know, because Pastor Mo, I hear you. This sounds good, but you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did this morning. It's only 11, so I had a whole morning to get ready. What we need to understand is that this is good news. Because what God is saying is that I know what you did. And that's why I gave my son as a sacrifice to bear your sins, past, present, and future on the cross to be nailed once and for all. And this is so important because for me, I have a burden when I see people, you know, at a salvation call, raise their hand week after week, week after week saying I'm getting saved and giving my life to Jesus. Let me let you know this. When you give your life to Jesus, it is settled. I need to say that for this side of the room because I know some of us are confused. When you give your life to Jesus, it is settled. Your salvation is secure. Your heart is made pure right there. But watch this. You still got some work to do. And that's why we need to understand that the posture of our heart is very important. Can I get a lean in this morning on this 11 o'clock service? Come on, everybody lean in with me. Did you know that it is possible For two people to be operating in the same exact sin and one be walking towards God and one be walking away from God. The challenge is the posture of our hearts. 
one of the people that are saying, God, I receive your salvation. I receive your gift and, and I still might fail, but I'm repentant. God, I'm saying I need you. God, I'm saying my body and everything in me is telling me I want to do that and I don't want to do it, but I keep falling into it. You don't know where I came from. You don't know my history. You don't know how I've actually been ingrained in this lifestyle, but you're still repentant. While the other one is saying, I'm committing that sin and I'm dancing all the way doing it. I'm dancing. And I'm saying, God, I know what I'm doing, and I don't want to be closer to you. And so what we have to understand is that we are in a process. Salvation can happen in one day, but sanctification happens over time. And so just as I said that, this is probably what I would say one of the most important things that Christians need to understand, because there's a whole lot of people walking in condemnation because they don't get this. I just said it, but let me say it again. Salvation is when you are saved once and for all through faith. That can happen in one day. While sanctification is a daily process of God making you more and more like Jesus, which is happening day by day by day. We talk about this one-step culture. What we're saying is that every step, God, I'm saying I need you. Every step, God, I'm becoming more holy. Every step, I didn't say I was becoming perfect, I said I'm becoming purified. Every step I take, God, you are doing a work in me. So each and every time I walk, listen to this, I'm walking away from the old man. And I'm walking into the newness of the new man. And so as we navigate this and understand it, we have to hear what Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verse 14. It says, by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, he has made perfect, what does it say? Forever. Those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy. I need to stay on that for a moment. Those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy. You are being made holy. And so as some of us struggle with this, I just want you to lift your hands right now because a lot of times as I'm dealing with these things, I'll sense stuff in the spirit that's kind of like something just hitting the glass ceiling. Receive this. Take a deep breath in with your hands lifted. Take another deep breath in. One more time. Say, God, I'm accepting that I'm being made holy. I know I'm not perfect, but I accept your sacrifice. I accept your salvation in my life. But now I want your sanctification. I want all that you have for me. No longer do I want to deceive myself. But I want to be holy. And I receive it. Amen. Come on, put your hands together right there. See, the key to us understanding that is that Your heart was eternally made pure. But what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, he's not just talking about that person that just made the one-time decision. Yes, you got salvation, but he's saying you need to keep yourself pure. Continue on the journey. Don't stop. And how do we continue on the journey? This is number two, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Do you realize that your heart is actually being targeted by the devil? I was thinking about this, and I don't think we understand that it's like the devil is kind of casing the joint. The devil is kind of casing your heart. The Bible actually says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeing who he can devour. And what we need to do is that we need to make sure that we guard the things that are important to us. Even yesterday, the Lord just nudged me in this and said, Most people guard earthly possessions more than they actually guard their eternal hearts. Let me just tell you about it. Yesterday, no, actually last night, I was in the bed. Some of y'all will bear witness with me. I was in the bed. I knew I locked the door. And I still got up and went to the door and checked and see if it was still locked. How many of y'all do that? Yesterday, I was getting on the elevator. And I came from the car, I locked it, I heard it chirp, I did all the things. I hit the elevator, took one step in, and still said, ah, beep, beep. 
Why? Because I wanted to make sure that something that was important to me was guarded and that the alarm was on and it was secure. Some of us are spending more time, more energy guarding our cars, our homes, than you're guarding your heart. Some of us are giving more credence to earthly possessions than your eternal soul. And so what we're doing is that we're saying, yeah, I'll put the alarm on my car, I'll put the alarm on my house, but devil, just come get me. I'm wide open. The Bible says in John 10 that the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life. But the devil can't steal what's protected by God. But if you give him open access, he's just going to run all up in it. And so we have to make sure that we are focusing and guarding our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so some of the ways that we guard our, our hearts is by actually looking at the things that we give influence to ourselves. What I'm not doing is trying to tell you what you need to watch on TV or what movies to watch, but the Holy Spirit will. What I'm not doing is trying to tell you what friends to hang out or what people to associate with, but the Holy Spirit will. What I'm not telling you are the places that you should and should not go, but the Holy Spirit will. You know you've been in that place and you're standing there. I know I'm not supposed to be here. I know I'm not supposed to be here. Heed the word of the Lord. Harden not your heart. Because God, what he's really trying to do is save you from yourself. Because he knows that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And so I need you to write this down. This is not in your notes. What boundaries do I need to erect to keep guard of my heart? What boundaries do I need to erect to keep guard of my heart and to keep my heart pure? Because the reality that I really want us to grab soberly is that the devil really wants to utilize your life as a testimony for his kingdom. While God is saying, I want to use your life as a testimony for my kingdom and actually show you what it means to be blessed. And so the third thing that we have to do, if we're going to become those that are pure in heart, is that we have to gut the competition. Gut the competition. What does that mean? We have to guard our hearts from the things that are coming from the outside, but we also have to deal with sober inventory of what's going on already on the inside. And so when we do this, we we need to know, again, that a pure heart means that it's without pollution, it's without uh, division, and it's without distraction. And so anything that's in your heart that's actually competing against God, those are the things that we have to gut out. This is in your notes. A pure heart is a heart that belongs only to God. A pure heart. See, I'm not talking about works right now. I'm not talking about just what you can do in your own strength. If your heart is not pure where it belongs only to God, that's where we need to actually reconcile. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 says, Dear children, keep away from what? Keep away from what? Means fill in the blanks. My thing might not be your thing. It says, keep away from anything that might Take God's place in your heart. This is what I love. We have even some people on our staff, especially some of the guys on on our team, that have come to Kendra and I and say, hey, I I might not get certain notifications on Instagram because I had to take it off my phone. What they're saying is that I can't handle the Explore page. That doesn't make them less than or weak. It gives them wisdom to say I'm not going to set myself up in a place that I know constantly wants to take me back. Some of us right now need to delete some apps off of our phone. We need to delete some numbers off of our phone. We need to do some things to say, you're a distraction, whatever that is, and say, I want to be pure in heart. Because as we look at this, there are some things competing. There are some enemies in our heart. And so here are some things that sometimes compete in our hearts, because if we're not careful, they will take the place of God in our hearts. One of the things that actually takes the place or competes with our hearts is our sinful motives. These are the things that only we know, because purity of heart is less about what you're doing and more about why you're doing it. Let me give you a very real example. Now, I love that people want to serve, and I love that people want to be here, but when you come and you say, I want to get on the greeters team, you have to wonder what your motivation is. Is your motivation to greet somebody and let them come into the house of the Lord, or is it to give yourself a front row seat on displaying your singleness?
Now, still volunteer, still serve, still serve. <laughs> but I'm serious. Are you looking to be seen? Or are you looking for him to be seen? Are you wanting to be an usher into the presence of the Lord or you want to get somebody ushered to you? For others of us, you may be that person that says, you know, I'm just saying this because I love you. No, you're not. You're really saying this because you want to control me. You want to manipulate me. You're trying to get all in my business when you need to deal with your business. It's about motivation. Now, there are good friends that the Lord gives us. There are good people in community gives us to walk with us. But we have to discern our motives before just we, us saying what the what is. Amen? Here's another thing. Selfishness. Where we just want to accumulate more and more and more. Very clearly, the Bible says the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's why tithing and being generous is so important, because what tithing and generosity does, it gives us a heart check for what we really say is our treasure. It gives us a heart check for what we really depend on. If we are the source or if God is the source, if we trust him or we trust ourselves. Now, tax season, tax returns are coming real soon. And some of us will be tempted to just accumulate more, to do more, to make ourselves look better. But who are we supposed to be generous to? How are we supposed to actually do that in the will of God? Amen? Another thing that I need to deal with right here that, that is prevalent in society right now, syncretism. Syncretism. We've talked about this a few times. Syncretism is when you are marrying different religions together and you kind of have this Frankenstein, Frankenstein faith. Where you take a little bit of this over here and a little bit of that over there, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. What this is, is dangerous because this is one of the most important things that God dealt with in the Old Testament because people always wanted to say, I'm Christian, I want the benefits of the God that I serve, and I want to hold on to my sin. What we would call this is Christian plus. Christian plus that. Christian plus this. Can I give us a little, bit, little example? I'm Christian and I want to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend here and there. Let me take it another step further. I'm Christian and me and my fiance have sex every once in a while. Why? Because we get married one day. It's tight, but it's right. We will actually look at certain things and we will put ourselves in positions to actually let our heart, our emotion that is wicked lead us when God is saying that's not what's supposed to be leading you. And so we will try to cast other people's sins and other people's downfalls higher than ours. But we're actually doing the same thing. What we do is we say things like I'm Christian and I'm living in an active homosexual lifestyle right now. I'm Christian, and I practice a little bit of witchcraft over here, a little dust. Give me my crystals. Hey, I'm going to wait to see if we're going to go out to coffee. What's your sign? What's your sign? Let me see if I'm going to go out with you. Oh, you a Virgo? Oh, I can get with you because you know what they say about Virgos. I'm Christian plus. And what we don't understand, listen to this, is that we're ascribing to what we would call sub-religions in the culture of the world. These cultural uh, uh, religions are these. We will say, I'm a Christian and I actually serve the religion of the Democratic Party. I'm a Christian and I serve the religion of Trumpism. I'm a Christian and I just kind of consult horoscopes here and there to make sure that I'm good. And ain't nothing wrong with that. No, there's a lot wrong with that because you can consult the universe all you want until you consult the God of the universe whose son's name is Jesus. You will never be able to be fulfilled. You will never receive the benefits of our God. I don't care what they say, what new age thing is being said right now. There's only one king of kings and one Lord of lords. Here's this last one I need to deal with because this, this is something that kind of is near and dear to my heart. I'm a Christian, and I manifest. Now, let me say this. Let me say why it's important to me. Because depending on the background, especially from church backgrounds you came from, that word has actually been hijacked. 
Back when I was coming up, being taught in the things of the world, manifest actually meant that God is manifesting his presence in and through you, around you, allowing his empowerment to go through you by the Holy Spirit. But it's been hijacked by the world of this new age philosophy of I can do it by myself. I can think hard enough and I'm going to draw this this law of attraction to me. And you can attract everything but Jesus to you and still be lost. And so we need to make sure that we don't get so lulled to sleep that because it actually sounds good, it looks good, it's close to the truth, it has a form of godliness, but it denies the very power therein. Christian plus has to go. And we need to be all in. So here's the thing. To be pure in heart means without mixture. We have to constantly ask ourselves, what's being mixed in my heart? What am I allowing to go in and out with my God? Because God says again, as these wicked desires are purged out, that's when we can be pure in heart. What we're saying right here is that those who are pure in heart will see God. The reward of us being pure in heart are that we see God. And now you may be saying, okay, so how do we see God? Let me let you know this. You are going to see God in the here and now, and you'll see him in the by and by. You will see God if you open your eyes to his majesty. You will see God if you allow him to work through you. Listen to this. I see God through many things. I see God and answer prayers. I see God currently, listen, as that road is being paved on Fairmont, I see God in that. Why am I saying that? Because I don't just see uh, the potholes getting closed so I don't have to replace my tires. I see God making a way, making it ready for these people that are going to move into these apartments, move into these homes, to be able to walk down here to Victory Midtown, to be impacted for the glory of God. Not through me, through you, through you, through you. I see God in church. I see God when we're here lifting our hands. I see a sliver of his presence while we're in worship. I see God when I'm in my marriage. I see God when I look in my son's eyes. I see God when we are coming together as a community and saying, God, do what you want to do in and through us. We see God in the Bible. You see God in nature. Some of you this week, as you slow down, God is going to just kind of prick you. He's say, do you see me? I guarantee you, as you slow down this week and actually allow yourself the process of being pure in heart and saying, God, I want to be guided by you. He's going to show you some things that you've been walking past day by day. So we see God in the here and now. But yes, we will see God in a life to come. There's a moment in Exodus 33 where Moses, he cries out and he says, show me your glory. And in that moment, God knows that He's so powerful. He's so magnificent that he could not see him face to face. But what he does, he hides him into a cleft of a rock. And he says, I'm going to just pass by and let you just see a form of me. Let you see the backside of me. Because if I see you face to face, you will die. Face to face is not until the by and by. But that's a promise that we have that we can actually rejoice in. But we don't need to wait to see God when we die. We need to make sure that we actually see him right now. Paul writes of that day, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so there's this day coming we'll see him face to face. But right now, As we take on these beatitudes, as we take on this blessed statement, what God is saying is, congratulations. When you continue to purify yourself, when you continue to guard your heart, when you continue to gut out everything that's in competition to me, congratulations. You're going to see me. Congratulations. I want a relationship with you. Congratulations. I want to fulfill you in ways that you could not fulfill yourself. Congratulations. I know you've been searching and looking at all these people and all of these things, but I'm saying congratulations. You will see me. And so as we close today, our response is this. 
I don't know about you, but I want to see God. In Psalm 24, 3, he says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands. Come on, lift your hands right now. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. With your hands lifted, I need us to know that this is not about perfection, but this is about our posture. It's not about you just doing all the right things. It's about God. I want my heart to be postured towards you. So with those hands lifted right now, as a matter of fact, can we stand all over the room? Stand all over the room. Stand all over the room. I want this group of people to raise their hand. Go ahead and bow your heads. I want this to be a very solemn moment with the Lord. If you're in here and you're saying, I'm hearing this message and I realize that, one, I've never given my life to Jesus. And I want to do that today because I want to see God. I want to see a different perspective. I want not only my eternal life to be secure, I want my current life to be secure. If that's you in here and you want to give your life to Jesus and make him your Lord, I want you to lift your hand right now. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. I see some hands popping up. I see some hands. I see some hands. You can put your hands down. I want to pray this prayer, and I want all of us to repeat it. And remember, when we say this, if you're saying it with all of your heart, it is settled. It is done. Say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today I repent, which means I turn away from my way of doing things. And I turn towards your way of life. Today, I'm accepting your sacrifice, that you forgave me of my sins through that sacrifice. And I'm asking God that you continue to make me holy, moment by moment, that you change me so that I can truly live for you. From this day on, I can say confidently that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter of my Father God. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, this is what I want to do. As I was preaching and even speaking and some of us was hearing this, this is a moment not of gloom and doom, not of condemnation, but this is a moment for us to seal this word by saying, God, I've been mixing all types of other things. I've been mixing syncretism. I've been missing my, I've been mixing my simple motives. I've been mixing my love for money and possessions and different things. I want to give you the fullness of my heart. And so we're going to close with this song that we sung earlier. But this time, I'm going to ask you not to hear it as a song, but to say it as a declaration. And if you need to take a step, if you need to walk out and come in repentance saying, I'm taking the steps closer to God. The altar is open. You can stay in your seat, whatever you want to do. But we're going to take this moment and we're going to declare, Lord, you can have my heart. So let's worship the Lord.